WLTK DB Let's Talk. with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. Welcome to another episode of the Afterlife Chronicles and Beyond. I am your host, Nicole Strickland, on the WLTKDB network. That's WLTKDB.com. You can also get to the site by visiting the Let's Talk.com. You can join the chat room right there on the main uh, homepage there and also use Facebook to get in there as well. I also want to take the opportunity to let you know uh, that there are many other shows on the network. So take some time and uh, peruse the website, wltkdb.com. Awesome hosts and awesome shows, uh, including this one. So I want to get right into it. I am so honored to have tonight's guest on. Uh, I'm just super honored. Uh, Dr. Parasetti, I mean, has a whole list of amazing accolades. He's a Scottish-Italian medical doctor, uh, former longtime university lecturer in public health, and is also a scholar in psychical research and has done a ton of research on near-death experiences and uses, and he uses his afterlife research or science, I should say, for the benefit of the bereaved and dying. So Dr. Parasetti, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Nicole, I'm very fine, thank you. And it is me to thank you uh, for having me as a guest. I am honoured to be with you. You're an established personality in this field. I understand you have a following. And it is also so nice from a very cold Scotland to connect to what I imagine to be a very sunny and warm California. So really, it's me to thank you for having me on. Oh, my goodness. Likewise. I mean, it's when you emailed me, I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. So here we are finally doing the interview. And it literally the honor is mine. So I normal sometimes I don't always open up by asking people, you know, how did you get involved in this field and all of that. But I think because you have so many accomplishments, let's start out with a little bit of your background and and what led you to uh, wanting to study uh, the paranormal, specifically uh, uh, near-death studies or near-death experiences. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, to tell you the truth, uh, NDEs are part of what I have studied, and we will get into this perhaps later, this uh, ter- term psychical research, which I understand is has gone a little bit out of fashion, but we will come to that in a moment. Uh, right, I am 
a Western educated medical doctor, Nicole. That means that I am the product of of a scientific worldview that says that anything that can possibly exist is matter. If you cannot touch it, if you cannot measure it, it simply does not exist. Right. And I mean, that's what, you know, that was I studied even at high school and then went on to university and I was, you know, imbued with that worldview and, and philosophy, which I accepted completely non-critically. That's, that's, that, that was it, you know, and, and, and I, and I took it and accepted it. And that served me, <clears throat> excuse my cough, that served me well for many years. Right. Until, uh, uh, if my memory serves me well, we are in 2004. And at that moment, I was living in Geneva in Switzerland, together with my wife and casually over tea, one afternoon in the kitchen, I remember very well, she happened to tell me a little spooky story that happened to her. She's from Glasgow herself a little spooky story that happened to her when she was an adolescent. So a few years ago, one may say, and (laughs) uh, it's, you know, in the greater scheme of things, it was a small episode, uh, intriguing, cute, but nothing earth shattering. But I could tell that this had had made an impression on her. And even after all these years, she, she was still somewhat perturbed. And to tell you the truth, let me let me be completely frank, Nicole. If you, since I unfortunately I don't know you personally, but if you or anybody else at that time would have told me a story like that, I would say, "Oh, how interesting!" And you know, shrugged <laughs> it, and you know yeah. that's, that that would be the end of, of of it. You know, of course. But that was my wife. That's the person I know best and I trust the most, and so that sort of triggered. A little curiosity, you know, with the stiff upper lip I, I had at the time. Say, let me see if anything serious has been written about all this. And you know what term I would like to use here, but I will not because we are on the radio. I mean, all this nonsense, <laughs> let's say. Okay. All this nonsense. And I look up and I stumble upon the 575 pages written by a very highly credentialed professor of transpersonal psychology here in the UK, a member of the Royal Society, so a top scientist, somebody who certainly, you know, uh, surpassed my boggle threshold. And to my surprise, the title of the book is, Is There an Afterlife? Question mark. A review of the evidence. And boy, Nicole, did those 575 pages changed my life. That was a turning point. That was the beginning of a a lifelong sort of a new passion, a deep intellectual scholarly interest that, you know, led me to, to this day, I think I've I've digested well over 30,000 pages of literature. On, on what we that. call psychical research. And I became a member 
of the Society for Psychical Research here in the UK, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and these are professional scientific organizations devoted to this absurdity, as I, as I used to think, that says that in a way which we do not understand, we don't die. Our personality, what we call ourselves, our mind, our, our, our feelings, our awareness, and crucially, our affections do not end with the end of the body. And this, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something in a moment, but it's, it's quite extraordinary. Still today, after all these years, when I say it, it sounds extraordinary. However, in, in as part of, you know, this, this, I wouldn't say conversion because I'm not, I'm, I'm, for the better or the worse, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I'm not, uh, and unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know what to say, but I am a, an intensely rational person. You, from what I understand reading about you, you're an experiential person primarily. You had experiences yourself, and then you go out and seek experiences. My way in this life, in this incarnation, is a way of the intellect, is a way of study, is a way of reasoning and thinking. And, and, and this path of discovery, for me, you know, the reading, the membership in the organizations, the conferences, the study days, the interaction with the other researchers. And I even uh, went to the US, the Southern United States, and trained personally with Raymond Moody, whom I, I suppose yourself and many of your listeners might, might, may be familiar with, is the author of Life After Life, the multi-million seller book in which first he spoke about near-death experiences in the late 70s. So after all this process, and I'm not telling you that it was a conversion, right? I did not see the light and be be became a believer. This was a long, arduous, to-in and throwing going and coming back and inching little by little, inching forward, a process of understanding. Which, I can imagine. I can imagine. Which brought yeah. me today, and with this I conclude, because I'm sorry, I'm, I, I like to talk. You know, I've been oh. a university lecturer for many years. Yeah, I do no, talk, don't apologize. Like, you know, mad. When I'm asked things, <laughs> I, I, I really take a long way home. Anyhow, after all these studies and the research and the training and, and the interaction with, with other researchers, today, to the best of my intellectual honesty, I can say that I'm convinced of two things. Number one, what we call mind, our thoughts, our personality, our feelings, our memories, are strictly related to, but independent from, the electrophysical activity of the brain. There's obviously a connection there, but the things we call mind can exist independently from the brain. And this is a big, big assumption, as a big thing to say for somebody who was trained as essentially a materialist scientist. Secondly, and even more incredibly, if I may, in a way which we do not understand, significant aspects of human personality 
survive the death of the physical body. That's where I am today. That's where I have been for many years now, because I've, I've studied and digested so much material that I am convinced and I, and I propagate this idea that anybody who has looked at the evidence, and by evidence, I mean facts, things that happen, things that are investigated, things that are even tested in the laboratory, anybody who's dedicated time and effort at, um, in, in looking at the evidence and is intellectually honest can only come to these conclusions, namely, mind is more than the brain, and B, we do survive physical death. And let me conclude, and I promise that's the last thing I say, since I am a rational believer, I'm a believer because I looked at the evidence, should I come across evidence that disproves these things, I will be forced to change my opinion. So far, this has not happened, and I'm a rational believer in life after life. I, you know, I've had a belief in life after death uh, for years. I mean, I've never had any sort of experience myself where I've come close to an NDE or anything like that. But in my, I mean, you've digested 30,000 pages of literature. You've attended international conferences and study days. You've interviewed researchers. I mean, training with Dr. Moody. I mean, I mean, you're just accomplished in this. And there's one thing a quote that I actually saw, I believe it was on your website, and this really struck me. Uh, it's, uh, we are not bodies with the consciousness that we lose at death. We are consciousness with the body we lost at death. And that really, really struck me. Isn't that beautiful? I oh, really, my gosh. It, yes. still, it still brings tears to my eyes. It, yes. well, I conceive this in a moment of rapturous enlightenment. And you know where I found myself at the moment? I was sitting in a toilet of a restaurant <laughs> to bring this to bring this down to, you know, <laughs> everyday life. It's extraordinary, but this is precisely what happens. That's oh my gosh. Great moment of inspiration. That, because that sentence brings together really everything. That I've, that I've studied and I think I've understood. We're Absolutely. not bodies with the consciousness. We lose at death. We are consciousness. And the body, yeah, the body is here now, but it will not be here for much longer. And it doesn't matter. We are consciousness and we continue to exist. Absolutely. So what is, I mean, if you can uh, summarize uh, what is the evidence saying? You know, if someone asks you, okay, what is the evidence that that uh, the human body can survive death? Right. So I understand we have about a, a week for this interview. Is that correct? We have yes. seven days of <laughs> continuous recording. <laughs> no, because I mean, literally, the evidence is so colossal, colossal. I think there are about 12 different fields of investigation, right? And what is interesting is that these are different things. There's uh, what you mentioned, near-death experiences. There are deathbed visions. There's after-death communication. 
the, which in itself is an ocean of, of evidence in itself because you've got the mediums and mediums are of very different kinds and do very different things themselves. Then you have this instrumental transcommunication. You have assisted after-death communication, which is a, a recent development, very interesting, blah, blah. And then there's another sub-ocean, if you want an ocean within the ocean, which is uh, reincarnation studies, etc. So you have very diverse areas of evidence. And what is interesting is that all these are consistent and coherent. They all point to survival. Now, it is interesting because we, 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 we kick around this term evidence a lot. And I think it's, it's interesting for, for the two of us to be clear and, and for perhaps interesting for, for your listeners to reflect a little bit on what is evidence. What is this thing we call evidence and we talked that, that, that we talk about? And I, I like to see the evidence supporting um, the survival hypothesis as a pyramid, yeah. you know, a triangle, a pyramid. And if you slice the pyramid in three parts, obviously the bottom part is much bigger than the middle part, and the middle part is much bigger than the top part, just in terms of volume. And I think that that com conveys quite well the fact that the three categories I'm not talking about subjects. I will explain in a moment. I'm talking about categories of evidence are of different sizes. The bottom is very large. The middle part is large. And the top is smaller. So if we start at the base, at the bottom layer of the, of the pyramid, we have anecdotes. And anecdotes are the stories people tell. Right. And unfortunately, many of my colleagues in the scientific world discount the anecdotes as nothing. This is a crucial methodological and philosophical mistake, which has been pointed out by people much more important than me, but I like to point it out. Discarding evidence coming from anecdotes is stupid and wrong is bad I science. cannot agree more. Well let, said on let that. Me, let me tell you, imagine that I go back, you know, in my beginnings, uh, like before I went into public health and all that, I have been, I've been a, a, a junior GP for a few years. Imagine that in that capacity, I would not believe the stories my patients told me. I mean, the entire edifice of medicine is based on the fact that we trust what people tell us. But then this is considered unscientific, and I cannot wrap my mind around this. Or imagine that in a court of law, we would not trust the testimony of a witness at the stand. I mean, if the entire edifice of the judicial system would collapse. So evidence coming from anecdotes is evidence. All the more, when people tell stories they have no interest in telling, you are a paranormal researcher and you know this very well, people who have weird experiences 
are not happy to talk about these experiences because they fear being taken by fools. And, and so they're very private. And these things only come out when you establish that they can talk and they will not be taken for, you know, visionaries or fools. Also, anecdotes are, are, are used, become, become heavier in a way of evidence when people sign statements like affidavits, even more so when different people report having the same experiences put that in writing as part of an investigation, etc. So we have a huge amount of evidence coming from anecdotes pointing to the survival of physical death. People see ghosts, people hear voices, people go to mediums and have incredible evidential experiences. They come back and tell us stories. So Anecdotes, very important. Why they are important? Because they point us in a direction. And the direction then is further. We move along that direction and we move to the second tier, the second level of the pyramid. And that is investigations. We understand where anecdotes are pointing, that, uh, pointing us and we go there. For instance, if somebody says that they had a great uh, reading uh, from a medium, and many people say that that medium is particularly good, well, let's go and test this medium out. And, and these investigations are typically carried out by scientists, by people who are trained in the scientific method, are trained in observation, and, 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 and these investigators put a maximum of controls so that the medium could know nothing about the person is been read and uh, and so an, an, a number of barriers in a way which try to isolate the phenomenon making sure that nobody is deluded making sure that nobody is um is being fooled intentionally or unintentionally and so you in a way validate what the people have been telling through anecdotes by means of investigations. Investigations, and, and, and these investigators, I promise, go to very, very great lengths to make sure that what is being observed is the real thing. If a certain phenomenon, mediumship, for instance, has, we, we, it's been, we've been pointed to that by anecdotes, it has survived the scrutiny of the investigation, then we move to the top level of the pyramid, which is laboratory research. In the lab, you have control over all the parameters. There's nothing that can escape. So if a certain effect is demonstrated in the laboratory, well, that effect is real. This is what happens in all areas of established science. This is the scientific method. So we've got somebody who says that mediumship exists. Then mediumship is confirmed by investigation. And lastly, mediumship is taken into the laboratory. And to this, at, at, at this time, we have about 12 replication of an extraordinarily complex and watertight protocol testing research medium 
at university level, right, by several university groups, mostly in the United States, but in uh, uh, here in the UK and in the Netherlands as well. And these 12 replications say incontrovertibly that research mediums can extract information about a discarnate, as we say in technical words, about a deceased person without knowing anything about the person, about the sitter. Nobody knows anything about anything. There are five levels of separations, of separation between the sitter and the medium doing the reading. And the statistics that come back are extraordinary. So in any area of science, an effect that's been replicated 12 times by independent laboratories around the world is a fact. That is the kind of fact I'm talking about when I speak about evidence. Over to you, Nicole. This is such a beautiful and eloquent explanation. I mean, I'm sitting here in awe. I mean, I am just absolutely in awe by your explanation. Uh, hold your thought, though. Hold mine as well. We do have to take a two-minute break. You are listening to The Afterlife Chronicles and Beyond. I'm your host, Nicole Strickland, with tonight's guest, Dr. Parasetti, and we will be right back. We didn't invent great sound. We perfected it. We are controlling transmission. WLTK DB. Let's talk. Alternative Talk Radio. WLTKDB.com. Ever wanted to host your own radio show? If your answer is yes, then the time to act is now. WLTKDB Let's Talk is now accepting new programming more affordable than ever. You create the show idea and we'll take care of the rest. Not only do we create your program intro and provide broadcast training, but also syndicate you to popular outlets like Apple and Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. You get all of this starting at 100 bucks per month. Three packages to choose from and built to make your wallet happy. Contact us at WLTKDB.com with your show idea and let's bring your dream to life. All topics accepted and you have full rights to your program. Contact us today and reserve your spot on WLTKDB Let's Talk. What are you waiting for? Let's do this. minutes past the hour you are tuning in to the afterlife chronicles and beyond i am your host nicole strickland on the wltkdb network you can join us right there in chat on the main website at wltkdb.com or the let's talk.com i am so honored for tonight's guest if you're just tuning in we are talking to dr piero parasetti I'm just in awe. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the accolades. Don't say that. I am. I am. I have to say that. I am. I'm just like, I mean, if you guys haven't tuned in uh, before the break, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, he was talking a little bit about uh, how he uh, got started uh, in psychical research and and, and afterlife studies and a little bit 
more about his explanation because I did propose the question, okay, what is the evidence that the human body can survive death? And your explanation is, is the best that I've ever heard. It's spot on. I, I love and admire how you agree that anecdotal evidence if you will, our anecdotal experiences are just as important. Because in my experience as a, a paranormal researcher, I've worked with many people who just rely on what objective data is telling them. They only rely on what their equipment is telling them. And they fail to pay attention to uh, a personal experiences or personal encounters or uh, even intuitive sorts of uh, inclinations. So I can't agree more. I think it's important in this field to pay attention to both what I consider subjective and objective sorts of data. It, it so, is important, if I may say, it is important in this field and in any other field of science. Uh, the observation is, is the beginning of any scientific process. And let me tell you very briefly, I am comforted, though, because, I mean, on the one hand, you've got this, all this, you know, the, the staunch materialist. And as you say, if, if I cannot measure it, it doesn't exist and blah, blah. Right. On, the other, uh, on the other hand, though, particularly here in the UK, there's a group of academic sociologists who have taken up the, the button, if you want, of psychical research. And I'm, I'm really excited by this. And these people do what sociologists do. Like, instead of going and sitting with a, a tribe in the, in the Amazon forest to study their, you know, to live their life and understand their, their, their societal structures and blah, blah, these people go and sit in mediumship circles and become part of the phenomenon themselves as, as academics, as researchers, they Im, Im, Im embed themselves within the community, within the group they're studying. And of course, they report extraordinary things because uh, away from the limelight, there are a, a lot of these groups in which people come together and, and actually conjure up the spirits and the spirits talk and produce lights and produce phenomena and the sociologists are there to live the experience and to document it scientifically that's very interesting that is very intriguing and what i find highly intriguing is how you use your afterlife studies and and and, and all of your research for the benefit of the bereaved and dying so can you talk a little bit about that very, very happily, very happily. So here, as in a way of introduction, let me uh, briefly elucidate this term that I, that I keep using, psychical research, and then applied psychical research, which is really, if you want, my, my area of, of specialty. Psychical research, as I said, is, is a term that has gone out of, of use, not really, you, you don't hear it in the media at all. And it, it's it's max of of Victorian era and UK, and it's true. It's it's gone out of fashion, but it's interesting because uh, psychical research includes what we call today parapsychology, that is the study and observation and study and testing of the unusual human faculties that we that you know telepathy, psychokinesis, precognition, and uh, and, and all that. Right. Plus, the study 
of the evidence for survival. So, and you say, what have, why are these two things linked in, in one scientific discipline? Well, it's not difficult to understand because through the study of the unusual powers of the, uh, of the human mind, you inevitably conclude and are, and are bound to accept what I said before, that the mind is more than the physical brain. So that the study of, let's say, parapsychology is sort of a, a preliminary, is a, is, a, is a first step, because if you understand and accept that the mind is more than the brain, then you're more open to accept the even more incredible fact, as we say, that we do survive physical death. So Absolutely. Com combining parapsychology and afterlife research, we call applied, uh, sorry, we call psychical research. Then, as I was studying the, the, the large and diverse field of psychical research, I realized soon enough that what I was learning could be potentially of great use, of great benefit to two categories of people. Those who are in pain because of the loss of, of a loved one, and those who are in fear because they're facing death, either their own or perhaps a loved one's. And we already have there too a subsector, if you want, or a, or a tiny sub, yeah, subdivision of the evidence that tells us that uh, knowledge and experience about life after life can have a great impact on, on people's uh, psychological well-being. For instance, we know that people who've had a near-death experience show consistently everybody and anybody who's had an NDE shows a, 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 a raft of beneficial psychological and behavioral changes. These people invariably become less materialistic, more interested in spirituality, less interested in money, achievement, cars, and color TVs, and more interested in study, learning, personal development. They become more compassionate. They have a sense of connection to other people and to, and to nature. And crucially, they have lost any fear of death because they have died, they have had a direct first-hand experience of what's afterwards, and so for them, death doesn't mean anything. So that is very interesting. What is even more interesting for me personally is Dr. Kenneth Ring, one of the foremost NDE researchers in the US, already years ago carried out an interesting study and he showed that the same changes, the same beneficial psychological changes show up in people who did not have an NDE themselves, but simply read about NDEs. The more people knew and understood about near-death experiences, the less they feared death. 
the the less they've they've felt materialistic and interested in 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 worldly achievements and blah blah. So interesting how the knowledge, the study, the personal study about a phenomenon produces the same beneficial changes as the phenomenon itself. We also know the Winbridge Institute in, in the US has carried out extensive research on the reductions in the levels of grief after an evidential reading with the medium. So there are an, an, a number of areas and lines of investigation and research that tell us that knowledge and experience of the afterlife can be very beneficial. And this is what I call applied psychical research. So I have learned a lot of things through my studies. And now what can I do with these things for the benefit of others? And well, I, I, I happen to sit on the, on the scientific advisory board of the Forever Family Foundation, which is a fantastic organization. I warmly invite all your listeners to look this up forever. Family Foundation, all one word, foreverfamilyfoundation.org, which is a non-religious, non-profit organization, strong of over 12,000 people around the world, most of whom are bereaved people, most of whom are bereaved parents, in fact. And the organization is devoted to promoting the knowledge of afterlife science exactly for the benefit of the bereaved. And so in cooperation with them, a few years ago, I produced an eight-hour video course with a self-help ma manual associated with it. And the self-help manual is based on, on cognitive behavior techniques. And, 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 and I put in a lot of work and I donated it to the foundation. It's, wow. I don't make any money. They make very little money. The entire course is eight-hour video course plus the manual is on sale for $20. That's peanuts because it's a non-profit organization. And I mean, we don't do this for money. We do this to, 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 to help people. And the basic idea, sorry, again, if you, if you give me the, the, the go, then I never stop talking. No, please. The basic idea. It's, it's, it's easy, and I hope it's also interesting to understand. It's easy to explain and hopefully interesting to understand. I'm, I'm fond of saying, it's not that I'm fond of saying, it's a reality that there is a, pay, a part of the pain of a loss which is quite simply unavoidable. That is part of who we are as human beings, and there's no doctrine, there's no tablet, there's no therapy, nothing will take away that part of what I call the unavoidable pain of a loss. However, we, su we also suffer for because of things which are avoidable, and therefore there is an avoidable part of pain. If we believe that our loved one has simply disappeared, has ceased to exist. One moment it existed as a person, particularly as a mind, because we are not in love with a person, we're in love with a mind, with a personality. And that existed yesterday and now 
has gone, has vanished into a black nothingness. That is cause for extreme pain, and that is false. Following cognitive therapy principles, we simply redress that wrong. We, through the study and critical evaluation of the evidence, we help people understand that their loved one has not vaporized, disappeared, completely ceased to exist. He or she goes on living into a non-material dimension of existence, which for lack of a better word, we call the, the, the spirit world, the afterlife or shall I say, the many levels of the afterlife. That knowledge is of great comfort. So the unavoidable pain is still there, but we avoid the pain of thinking that our you know, loved ones have, have simply disappeared. And lastly, uh, during the, the terrible pandemic and, uh, and, and, and the very hard months, I must say, Nicole, and I'm, I'm, I'm very frank and open about this, the, the pandemic in general and the lockdown in particular, we had two really, really hard ones here in Scotland, in the UK in general, but in Scotland, it really felt like, like house arrest for months on end. And it took quite a, a, a psychological toll on me. I, I had a very, very hard year. Nevertheless, I managed to to write an entirely new book, and this is oh, the extension. Wow. This is the extension of what I had done for the bereaved. I tried to do with those who are in fear of death, and and the book is called "Step into the Light: Transform Your Fear of Death by Learning About Life After Life," and it is the first, it's my fifth book. And, and this is specifically directed to people either who are simply curious or who have a fear of death, a, a general fear of death, or to the people who unfortunately are, are going through the difficult times, inevitably difficult times of facing death themselves. And there too, there's a part of the, of the process of dying which is inevitably unpleasant. It, again, it's a part of human life. It's an essential part of who we are, and that's unavoidable. But there is a very avoidable part of the suffering because people are scared of ceasing to exist. People are scared that when their, when their brain will stop functioning, there's nothing afterwards. And that is not true. And through my book, and if you want, we can talk a little bit about that because I think absolutely, I wanted I have to get taken, into that. I have taken, a, a, I must say, a, a, a really an original approach to a subject which has been, you know, dealt with and and and, and really investigated and explained in in all possible manners. But I have taken a little bit of a of an original uh, approach, I think. Are we, are we clear so far? Are we clear to, as to what applied psychical research is? Essentially, the application, the practical utilization of, of what we learn from afterlife science for the psychological benefits of two categories of people, those who have lost a loved one 
and those who are scared or are facing death and, and are uncomfortable uh, around, around the idea of dying. I do have a question for, for those groups of individuals. Do you find that those maybe uh, that are, I guess, very religious as opposed to, uh, I guess, spiritual have or respond to uh, your uh, counseling in a different way? Well, I, I hoped you, you would never make, ask this question because it's really difficult because it forces me to, uh, to face and talk about some realities which I personally don't like, but they seem reality to me. And, uh, and this reality is that religion and religious beliefs, particularly organized religion, the broader spirituality which is which is taking hold uh, these days, that is not the case. That is not uh, a hindrance. But uh, um, strong uh, beliefs and adherence to the teachings of traditional organized religions can be um, a hindrance. Let right, me give you a right, couple of yeah. examples very quickly. And you see how uncomfortable I am because I, in, I don't want in any way to come across as judgmental or dismissive or anything. Yeah, no, simply, not at all. Yeah, not I am at all. simply, you know, as, as a medical doctor, I am simply interested in the well-being of people, right? That's, that's where I come from. And the the room exactly below the room I'm talking to you from now is inhabited, the apartment below us is inhabited by a, a delightful woman in her mid-50s who is, uh, has been a young widow maybe 15 years ago and has never really recovered from the loss of her husband. I can see that still today she, she suffers, she withered, and, and she certainly has a, a considerable unresolved grief. Inevitably, soon as I met this person, and soon as we got talking and I understood the, the situation, I very as tactfully as I could, I introduced the subject that, you know, I'm an expert in this field and I would be happy to, you know, have a chat with her. And I was met with an immediate closure. No, no, you know, I'm a Roman Catholic and we, we don't do mediums. We don't do that kind of thing. I'm, it's not permitted. And I was left speechless. What can I say? I see a person who's suffering, who prolongs her suffering because of her, her upbringing and, and her, her being religious in that particular manner. Another, another example that really pains me so dearly is one of my best, best friends from California himself, from Bakersfield, whom, whom I befriended years ago. And, and really, he was almost a, a, another brother for me. We were really, really close. And the, the poor man had had uh, suffered from cancer and, and eventually died. This was already many years ago. And is, is, is maybe the, the last year before he died was a torment, not only because he was going to die, not only because he ended up in a chair, in a, in a wheelchair, and he was paralyzed because of the disease and everything, 
But because he himself was raised as a Catholic, I'm not singling out Catholicism. Please do not get me wrong. These are just two random examples. They happen to be to and have been Catholics is just a case. As a Catholic, he was terrified by the fact that he, he thought he had committed some bad deeds. And I know him, I don't think he did, but never mind. In his mind, he thought he had committed bad deeds and he was horrified at the idea of judgment. And we know that that is not true. This does not happen. That is a wrong teaching because wrong in us, it does not correspond to what we know about the process of dying and what comes afterwards. So my beloved friend Rick suffered unnecessarily am That's, i clear yeah and i i certainly didn't mean to uh make you uncomfortable with that question i was i i was raised catholic and i do not practice it at all i consider myself more i'm, I'm not religious at all and i consider myself i guess more more spiritual and i was thinking that you know people that are that do adhere strictly to re, to their chosen religion i was thinking that maybe that strict adherence to that religion may hinder them and in, in maybe understanding and accepting you know uh that the body does go on i mean the 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 soul does go on after death so that's kind of where i was going with that absolutely absolutely yeah. in my in my in my really <sighs> With all my heart, I invite religious people. Nobody should abandon their tradition or, how do you say? Uh, I'm missing the word now. I'm with. I speak three languages, four in fact, and at times oh my I'm lost. Wow. I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, I, I for for various reasons I ended up being, you know mother tongue, three languages, and I speak a good fourth one. So at times I'm, I'm lost. Do you say renege, renegade? Re, uh, deny, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, renegade, yeah. Renegade. I don't want people to renegade their religion. Who am I to say that? Absolutely not. Of Simply yeah. make space. Make space for facts. Look at the facts because the facts can be a lot more comforting than the views of the afterlife that you know uh, are presented and look at the facts and and this is if i may if if i make a little bit of self publicity because i really i am i am told that what i've that my work works that what i've written does help people people write to me all the time and that's really the reason why because we all have, have have this narcissism that we 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 like we are happy when we think that we've made a difference we're happy when we think that you know we were important to somebody and this this fills my life with joy so the book step into the light is interesting i i dare saying and it's original i dare saying because it takes the, the, the issue of the afterlife from a slightly different angle. Instead, or if we want to learn about the process of dying and what comes afterwards, we can do many things. We can, you know, for instance, review the philosophy of it. We can make a study of uh, a comp comparative study of religions and see what the teachings of different traditions say. 
I took a different approach and I said, we have at least three categories of people, or let's say of sources, who actually know first and what dying and the afterlife is all about. Why don't we ask them? Why don't we see at what, why don't we, sorry, why, why don't we look at what people who have had a direct experience of the non-material realm we call the spirit world have to tell us about all this? But before doing that, since I am a rational a rationalist believer, I want my reader to be rational and rationalist believers as well, because in, I'm, I'm convinced that that is the only way to really transform. This is not another book about a revelation. You know, I perhaps if I had an NDE, I'm telling you the story of the NDE. No. Right. This begins as a detective story because we want to establish the credibility of our sources, like in a court of law. We want to make sure that our witnesses are who or what they claim to be. We don't want to be taken for a ride. We, since we will look in detail at what they have to say, we want to make sure that they are credible. And these, these three groups of sources are number one, those who have deathbed visions. Number two, those who've had a near-death experiences. And number three, well, those who have actually died and <laughs> speak to us from the other side through mediums and through a variety of other means. So three categories of sources. And for each of the categories, we look at the phenomenon itself we look in it really is a little bit like you know csi is a, is a scientific detective story we look at all possible alternative explanations and we are forced by facts to conclude that yes let's look at for instance deathbed visions which perhaps are a little less known there are than 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 other than other you know uh, phenomena. Research tells us, Nicole, that about 10% of people are conscious at the moment of their passing. Okay? The rest, the majority are unconscious. But 10 are conscious during the days and hours before their passing. Of this 10%, two-thirds and I mean 66%, the vast majority, have visions of what appears to be the afterlife, interact verbally with people whom only they can see, and their reports being typically deceased relatives who are said to have come to help the transition, to bring people over. And this happens in the 36 to 48 hours before death. And if you think that two-thirds of the 10% were conscious, this makes for unbelievably good, big numbers. 
to the point that the phenomenon is perfectly well known by all healthcare professionals who by because of their job deal with uh, with the dying and it is even taught at university in nursing school at university as a fact as a phenomenon that nurses have to know uh, and, and know how to deal with and when you dig into the phenomenon this is super super fascinating and i know that we probably will have to wrap up quickly but let me tell you for instance that people who think they will die but then make a recovery do not have these visions people who think they will recover but end up dying do have these visions and this in itself is super intriguing and almost an element of proof because it shows that this is not a psychological projection because of fear this is not a hallucination and that all all these explanations are dealt with one by one and and blown out of the water simply because they do not account for facts and reality but the fact that people on it is really it seems that it is the proximity to actual death that opens up the perception and allows us to see into the next world another extraordinary uh, element of evidence is that in many well documented and well researched cases people having deathbed visions talk to dead relatives they didn't know they were dead at the moment the vision takes place what does this tell you what does this tell you it tells you that these visions are real these visions are real experiences and it points towards the fact that there is an afterlife and this afterlife is populated by dead relatives who really come and help us through very very interesting so we look at the all the explanations for deathbed visions and we conclude that these are real we look at all alternative explanations for near death experiences and we are forced to conclude that these are real experiences that people who temporarily die are indeed allowed to take a peek into this non-material dimension of existence and then they come back and tell us their stories and finally they look we look into all the aspects of after death communications and the anecdotes and the investigation and especially the laboratory research and we conclude that yes spirit communicators in all likelihood are what they claim to be people who once walked on earth and now they exist in 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 the spirit world having established the credibility of our sources the second part of the book looks systematically at what these sources tell us about the moments before dying the moment of death itself the early afterlife the later afterlife the higher levels of the afterlife and then how reincarnation comes into into the process in this big big grand scheme of life that it's it's a it, it comes out as a beautiful fresco and we do this from the horse's mouth 
I have collected hundreds of statements across epochs, across cultures, across backgrounds, from deathbed visions, from NDEers, from spirit communicators, and I have systematized them and commented them so that we 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 can we can the, the reader is helped to to form this fresco and understand that life has meaning life does not end with the uh, the, the the death of this physical body actually oof it so appears that we life is one it is lived partly in the physical world partly in the non-physical world and we keep bouncing back and forth and and eventually we don't anymore but then again i don't want to preempt the conclusions is a great comforting picture of life and reality which comes from from credible sources and i think that a rational person can believe in all that based on the evidence absolutely truly amazing and truly commendable we have a couple of minutes left. Where can uh, people uh, buy the book and your other books as well? And where, uh, what's your website, all of that? Where can people find you? Thank you. The best thing is, is my own website. Uh, there's free, free articles. There's a webinar. There's a lot of free resources. And obviously, there's links to, to my books. And it's drparisetti.com. DR, like the prefix for doctor. Then Paris, like the town in France, E-T-T-I, Parisetti, drparisetti.com. That's my website. My originally Italian name is a mouthful, is Piero Calvi Parisetti. And this would have been really too, too difficult to handle. So I go by drparisetti.com, which is easier. Perfect. And I've been on your site. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, a lot of uh, very in-depth information on there. Uh, your other books, 21 Days into the Afterlife, Adventures in Psychical Research and Apparitions, Proof of Survival are also available as well, as is your new book, Step into the Light. Uh, Piero, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I would love to have you back because there's so much more that we can cover. So Nicole. we'll definitely get to that if, you, if you're yes. interested <laughs> i am so into you know this is the passion of my life it's really i do yeah. other things obviously but this occupies a lot of my intellectual life and it's i i like to learn things and especially i like to share things as much as i can as i say as a, as a long time university professor and 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 i I really hang on to teaching all those years because I like interacting with people and I like to, to try to share what I know. Absolutely. So and it, it shows. Is, it shows. Again, let me thank you wholeheartedly because we're all on a mission here. We're yes. all working you on the, on the media side and all the research work that you do yourself and, and, and me and others on the more, if you want, scholarly side, we're all together to, to uh, diffuse the knowledge. We don't, we're not in the business of convincing or proselytizing. We want people to think and learn and transform through their knowledge. Well said. And one thing you said earlier that I want to remind everyone is, you know, 
a true researcher of the unknown, if you will, is not in it for the money. They're in it for the passion and they're in it to help people. And I commend you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely commend you for that. So thank you again so much. We'll have you back on uh, next week. Uh, We have Randy Liebeck on. I hope everyone has a a wonderful weekend. And uh, we will see you next week. Of course, one last thought here at the Afterlife Chronicles. We are bridging the gap between mortality and the afterlife. One experience at a time. See you next week, folks. Thank you.